The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 23. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus gives Peter the ability to walk on water in our gospel lesson. But he gives him something else far better than that. At the end of a long day, Jesus has dismissed the crowds and sent his disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee in a boat. Then he's gone up on a mountain by himself to pray. As night deepens, the seas are rough and the winds and waves beat against the disciples' boat, but the conditions don't seem to bother them. They've been through rougher stuff before. All the same, they also know that in the scriptures, good things rarely happen on the sea. The sea rises up in Genesis and drowns everyone but Noah and his family. Then in Exodus, it takes out Pharaoh and his army. The sea, according to Job, is where Leviathan lives, along with other terrifying creatures. The sea is a powerful cauldron of the unknown. And while some of the disciples are experienced fishermen, they and their fellow Jews are not known as a seafaring people. Nevertheless, there is no proof in the text that the disciples are afraid of the sea this night. But they are afraid. They're afraid of Jesus. It happens in the fourth watch of the night. Jesus is walking on the sea toward them. He's coming to be with them, but the disciples are afraid. They're terrified, says our text. It is a ghost, they cry out, because men don't just walk on water. When they try, they sink. They drown. This can't be Jesus, can it? It must be a ghost. The disciples are not comforted at all by this spiritual presence of Jesus. But he's more than 
just a spirit. This is fully Jesus walking on the water. And you know why. Although he is fully man, he is also fully God in human flesh. He can command the seas to support flesh and blood. You heard in the Old Testament lesson from Job 38 that it is the Lord who created and controls the seas. They are under the power of Yahweh, the great I Am. You might also know Psalm 77 that it is Yahweh, the great I Am, who walks on waves. When Jesus draws near the boat of terrified disciples, then he says, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Actually, literally, he says, Be of good courage. I am. Do not be afraid. In other words, Yahweh, the Lord of heaven and earth, has become flesh and is walking on the seas, the same seas that he created and controls. Well, Peter wants a test. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Remember, this is his powerful word. His word does what he says. And here, his one word gives Peter the faith and the ability to walk on water. Trusting in that word, Peter gets out of the boat. By the power of Jesus, he is walking on the waves, and he is walking toward Jesus. It is certainly true that Jesus gives Peter this miraculous ability by his word. But remember, he's also given Peter something better. Because now Peter sees the wind, and no doubt he sees the waves too. He's suddenly struck by how impossible it is for him to be walking on water, especially when the wind and waves are so formidable. He doubts the Lord's word and power. He suddenly fears the wind more than he trusts in Jesus. False gods of fear are the worst of all, because they never promise to give anything, even in the short term. People only worship gods of fear because gods of fear always threaten to take what is held dear. Peter believes the wind and the waves are powerful enough to take his life, more powerful than Jesus is to save it. And his false god of fear gladly rewards his worship by letting him start to sink to his death. But here's the greater gift that Jesus gives. He gives repentance. Overwhelmed and sinking, Peter understands that he cannot save himself. He also knows that Jesus can save him. So he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus does. Peter finds himself grasped by the flesh and blood hand of Yahweh. Jesus says, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And indeed, why would Peter fear wind more than trust Jesus? But while his faith was little and weak, it was still faith to call upon Jesus. And it's by the same gift of faith that all the disciples say, Truly, you are the Son of God. They confess that night, in the middle of the stormy sea of Galilee, that Jesus is God become man, and that he has come to save. 
The salvation he brings is complete. Much later on, like all people, Peter will sink into the grave. But the Lord will raise him up again, even from the dead. Peter's plight is an important lesson. It's unfortunate that this text is often preached something along the lines of, The problem with Peter is that he lost faith. If you are going to be a Christian, make sure you keep your eyes on Jesus. If you believe enough, then you can walk on water too. A sermon like that is a sad one because it makes it sound like Christianity is all about you coming up with enough faith to get to Jesus. An observation which is far more true to Scripture is this. Often, it's relatively easy to be a Christian. Life has its share of minor troubles and annoyances to keep you aware that you're in a sinful world, but it's nothing you can't handle. It doesn't really put you off your stride or knock the wind out of you. In this, you're like Peter, who is even walking on water by faith for the moment. At such times, you start to measure your faith by how reasonably well things are going. But you've got your limitations. Sooner or later, you come up against some situation or temptation that's bigger than you are. No matter how carefully you work to keep things going, you lose control. You start to sink. See, troubles have a way of exposing false gods for the frauds that they are. That's also when you find that you haven't been trusting in Jesus, but trusting in your smooth sailing or trusting in your own ability to handle things or your ability to bounce back. This is a serious threat. Many preachers make Christianity sound this way, saying that you can measure your faith by the lack of trials and ease of life, by your commitment to Jesus, by how much you've improved from the old sinful you. But sooner or later, you hit the wall. Trouble exceeds your expectations and abilities, and then what? Such a preacher would say, you've just got to find some more faith. But that's hardly comfort when you're sinking. Look at Peter. One moment he's walking on water. Sure, it's stormy and people don't walk on water, but it doesn't bother him. He's got his confidence going for him. But then, all of a sudden, he's fearful. His confidence is gone. He starts to sink. And what shall we preach to Peter then? Get some more faith so that you can get to Jesus? No, because Peter can't save himself. He needs to be saved. You can't save yourself. You need to be saved. That's why it's such a blessing, a God-given blessing, when Peter calls out, Lord, save me. In other words, he says, I can't do it. You can. It's the gift of repentance, the same that the Lord gives to you. And this is your life as a Christian. When assaulted by fears, you don't say, Hmm, I better overcome these fears so that I can get back to being good with Jesus. The devil would love for you to trust in your own abilities. So no, instead you confess, Lord, save me. These fears are bigger than I am, and they threaten to swallow me up. But they are not too big for you. 
You've conquered even sin and death and grave for me. I cannot save myself. Lord, you save me. When you've fallen again for the sins that you love, you don't say, I better overcome this sin and defeat it before I can expect to be anywhere near Jesus. Again, the devil wants you thinking that Christianity is all about you defeating sin for Jesus. But you can't defeat sin while Jesus already has. So when you fall, you cry out, Lord, save me. I've proven your law all too true once again that I am a poor, miserable sinner. And by this sin, I've once again shown that I'm worthy of death and judgment. But you've gone to the cross and you've suffered that death and judgment for my sin. And you're risen again with forgiveness and salvation. I cannot save myself. Lord, save me. That's your life as a Christian. It's a life of repentance that says, Lord, save me. I can't. You can. You have at the cross. You do even now by your means of grace. And you will. You'll save me from the sinful world and raise me up to life everlasting. Oh, the Lord is near to you. Remember the disciples in our text, they think that Jesus is simply a ghost, that the real Jesus is somewhere else. And what does Jesus say? Be of good courage. I am. Do not be afraid. The same Jesus draws near to you to take hold of you by his means of grace. How close is he? As he said to the disciples, I am, he says to you, This is, this is my body. This is my blood for the forgiveness of sins. The Lord is not merely spiritually present with you while the real Jesus is far away. The Son of God become flesh is really as near to you as his word, as his supper, to strengthen and preserve you in the one true faith and the life everlasting. It is good for us to remember Jesus' rebuke of Peter at the end of our text, where he says, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why do you doubt? Often it is because you are trusting in yourself to save you. The more you trust in you, the less you trust in him, and thus your faith is small. And that is why you quickly repent of trusting in yourself, Why you gladly cry out again, Lord, save me. For the Lord is near, and he truly is the Son of God who has gone to the cross, defeated the grave, is risen again, and gives you salvation. He points you to his means of grace and says, Be of good courage. I am. Do not be afraid. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.